0: Welcome to Crew Conversations. This is our spot to continue the conversation for crew in the Fenway area. We are continuing in our mental health series. Liza Silvestri, this was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. I hope you do too. And with that, let's get started. Welcome back to Crew Conversations. Patty here. Tonight we have another awesome episode. Our guest is Liza Silvestri. She was on our mental health panel in February and she's back tonight to go a little bit deeper into the topic. Liza, super excited to have you here tonight. Super excited to be
1: here, Patty, continuing an important conversation and just talking more about an important,
0: very important topic. It was so great to have you on the panel. And there you shared a little bit about studying at Gordon-Conwell, and I wondered if we could start off with just hearing a little bit more about your journey, like what captured your attention to study mental health, kind of how did you get to this place that you're in now?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, It was a journey. I started right after college thinking, interning with Crew, actually. And really enjoyed working with students, particularly in the small groups, discipling, watching them learn and grow, and also personally really benefited from mentorships. And then later on in my career, just actual counseling. And so as I progressed and then went off to teaching, I just realized over time that I was enjoying these parent-teacher conferences the most of all of what I was doing. And while teaching was fun, I just felt like my heart was being pulled in that direction. And so once we had our first daughter, I took some time off to really think through what I wanted to do with my career and where God was really pulling me. And I just, I continued to go through my own counseling journey. And I just found that in combination with my faith in the community I had had made such an impact on my life and my heart and just who I was becoming that it just felt like I would really love to be a part of someone's journey like this. And so Gordon just felt like a really natural place to do it because it combined both the spiritual piece as well as the counseling sort of psychopathology of everything. And it's also been a part-time program that I'm enrolled in, and that's been really helpful, just balancing family life and career. But the more I've learned, the more excited I've gotten, the more healthier I think I've gotten too. Just the more you learn about it, you're like, oh yeah, I do that. <laughs> I could do less of that, or <laughs> whatever it is. So I feel like it's been one of those journeys. I think in college we oftentimes think, well, I need to know what my career is today, and I need to know what the ten, next 10 years looks like, and that just That was my desire, but that just wasn't my path. And I feel really grateful for the experiences I had because it led me to this place where I feel more confident in the way in which God gets to use who he made me to be in this particular area. So,
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Can you share a little bit about what the program you're in is? And then maybe a little bit about what are you hoping to do in this field afterwards?
1: So the program I'm in is called a master's of counseling and it's through Gordon Conwell theological seminary. And so typically to get your master's of mental health or marriage and family, it's about a two-year program, but they add an additional year to study the actual theological components and they kind of integrate theology, spirituality in to most of, if not all of the classes. And so you walk away sort of with this really strong, um counseling foundation but you also have an option to work and integrate in sort of a christian spiritual setting as well and i've just found that those two together I, it's hard to have one without the other to be honest and so when i think about what i'm going to do after graduation what's neat about the degree is that there's so many options i think i find myself drawn towards working with couples and families more than I had expected because of the impact that can have on the children, on the next generations and how it's, you know, working with just one individual is impactful, but in reality, they're part of a larger system. Mm -hmm. So that would be something I'd love to do, particularly in the Christian church. I think that it's important to balance the spiritual pieces and the health the mental health, and I think oftentimes, well-meaning pastors haven't just just haven't gotten the training, and so we sort of mm. have gotten into a pattern where maybe there could be a better balance of the two. So I feel like that could be a really cool thing to work on or to be a part of after graduating. And then I think the rest is sort of still figuring it out. There's a whole area of prevention, so working if you're talking about mental health. We're talking about oftentimes people come to the counselor already because they are struggling already or to the point where it's really impacting their lives. And so just thinking about what could I do actively in our community and our churches to help do preventative work, whether that's teaching a skill class on you know self-awareness and conflict management or working with pediatricians' offices and teaching their Having offering classes for attachment and how to build healthy attachments with infants, um, those kinds of things. So that feels exciting. I hope those are part of my journey in some capacity, but who knows? God does funny things sometimes.
0: <laughs> we'll see where,
2: where, I, where I'm led.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love the idea of prevention. I don't feel like I've heard that talked about too much yet in the mental health realm, but I feel like that could be so significant for the future, you know, to even be able to think about these things on the front end of something. I'm curious to hear more about one of the things we've been talking a lot about in this series and in our mental health panel, because we're coming from a faith space and your program you mentioned specifically is combining faith and psychology. And so I'm curious, what do you think the intersection of faith alongside our mental health is?
1: That's a really good question. Also a very, I don't know, loaded, complex, you know, like important question, the intersection between the two. Gosh, I think there's lots of ways this could go. So one example that has impacted me personally, growing up in the church, not growing up in the church, I became a Christian in college, but you know, over the last decade and a half or so, just thinking about how... As Christians, we tend to think of ourselves as these like sinful beings, and we sort of, you know, have this negative view of like our nature, and we have to actively work against ourselves to become more like Christ. And while, theologically, that makes sense and it's true. I also think that from my counseling work, I've realized, yeah, and also we've been made in the image of God. So at the core, Of us With the Holy Spirit inside of us, we are good. God made us good and we have these sinful parts of us, but we are good. And I think that for me, at least, has really changed my own self-esteem and confidence. And so thinking about issues like that, where we've maybe taken it to a place that can be damaging to sort of the individual confidence, self-esteem, because God, well, he created us. My theology is that like he created us to be who we were meant to be. And yes, we have broken parts of us, but at the end of the day, he wants us to become more and more like that beautiful person or amazing, you know, human that he made us to be so that we can do the most significant work for his kingdom. And so I think we have to just be careful about how our spirituality is negatively impacting our psychology. I mean, you hear a lot of times all this language thrown around about like spiritual bypassing and things like that, where people are trying to help you work through feelings or life events in a way that puts the focus back on God or Jesus. But sometimes it can actually, you know, again, be damaging psychologically to us when they you're like, oh, my gosh, this person just died. And they're like, yeah, but God won't give you more than you can handle. And it's like, I think we know what people are trying to do with that. It comes from a good place of love. But if we don't understand what grief is and what it means to go through grief and how our brain and our bodies process that, like that can be really hard. And so it's learning how to balance. Well, maybe a better thing to say is, you know, I'm with you. God is with you. Like this mm. sucks. You know, this is awful. And this is part of the brokenness of our world. But I think it reframes maybe how we can walk through life with people in some ways.
0: So. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And that's so helpful, too, because I think we do we it's like we need the fullness on both sides, in a sense, right? It's like there's so much psychology has to offer about who we are as human beings, how how we work and how we operate. And then there's a lot that God has to offer, too. But I think, you know, sometimes maybe we haven't even hit the fullness of that, because when you look at the Bible, it's filled with such a vast array of experiences. Like the Bible is not always just saying like everything's good because God is there. You know, there's Psalms and Lamentations in the book of Job and it just like really shows the fullness of human experience. And so I feel like when we can bring both alongside each other in the fullness of psychology and the fullness of who God is because I think from my perspective God has created us in all these emotions and so in a sense it's like understanding ourselves is a part of understanding God in a way
1: right it also balances out you know this idea maybe of a more secular idea of like it's all about me what makes me happy and so I think with the spiritual component it there it's a both and it's like you need to know yourself to know who God made you so that you can love others better Right, it's not all just about what do I need? Who am I? It's like there's a means to an end to some degree, and so I think that that's an important piece as well, where they balance each other out. And the other thing that, as you were talking, I was thinking about is that you know God made us with different, like there's different components of us as human beings, right? We have the physical component, we have the spiritual component, we have the mental emotional component, and I think. I just would never go to a pastor if I had colon cancer, you know, but for some reason, sort of the emotional mental health piece has gotten blended in more with the spiritual component than the more obvious physical stuff. And so I think just realizing that God created us as humans to know and understand our minds, and that's a different part of us than just the spiritual piece. So I think that's important too, to, to differentiate between.
0: Mm hmm yeah, that's such a great point. One of the places I was thinking we could go today, just thinking about you, Liza, like you went to Boston University. Our audience is students in the Fenway area, including Boston University. And so, in a very real sense, like you you've walked the shoes of these students. You know what it feels like to go to college in a city like Boston. But now you're on the other side of things. And so. I'm curious what advice you have, kind of being on the other side of college in and around the topic of mental health. And what ways do you think mental health might present in college uh, that maybe are different post grad, if any?
1: Yeah, I, I was looking at this question earlier, and just on a practical level, I think some psychological issues and disorders that we'll see aren't going to arise until. Later on, post-college, some of them might start to show themselves a little bit in college when we get older. Um, College is also a time where some of these things can present themselves the first time because you're out, you know, you've got a lot of stressors, you're out of your parents' home, et cetera. So I think some of it just very practically will either show up at this time period or isn't going to be addressed or known to be addressed until later. I was just trying to think about, you know, what was it like to be a student at BU, struggling with the various stressors. And like what would I want to hear from somebody like a decade later? And I think part of, at least from what I've, you know, talked to students about, so much of the mental health is so common right now. Like the depression, the anxiety, some of those things that people are struggling with are a result of just this, the societal pressure and this inability, which is, you know, developmentally appropriate at the time to, to take a step back and understand like big picture, what is important in life. And so I think so much, while it's very normal and developmentally appropriate, like for students to be so stressed out about the test or, you know, the next exam or what career I'm going to go into, I think so many of those things can like build on each other and then cause more issues with mental health later on right? So the stressors that we experience because of the pressures we're under, whether it's from family or ourselves or the university you're at or wherever, I think build on, if they're not, if you don't learn how to handle those things earlier, like they can really build. So for example, we were talking about personality disorders in one of my classes just earlier this week and just personality disorders are pretty challenging. I think the point being that those develop over time. Our personalities are not solidified, um, even by the time we're 20 or 18 when we're entering college. And so, you know, just looping back to the preventative piece, if we have colleges and universities and communities like Crew, for example, too, right, where they can help students deal with those stressors in a healthy way, help them understand themselves, bring compassion into their hearts, show how God can enter and just be with them to take some of that mental load off. I think that can really be preventative of some of these things later on and learning how to cope with them because life just gets more complicated, you know? So yeah, I think just particularly with those personality disorders, there are things you can do to I mean, ultimately it's God, you know, who's in control of it all, but there are things we can do to help people navigate things earlier on.
0: What do preventative measures look like? Like what might be some of those things that would be under that umbrella of preventative
1: yeah, so this is where I might turn the question on you. So what do you feel like right now are some of the students' biggest stressors and angst? Because, you know, I could tell you what they were 10 years ago and I might have a sense a little bit, but to be honest, you know, kind of been out of the loop for a while. Turning the podcast around on you, but I honestly just to answer the question better. I'm just curious.
0: I always find these questions hard you know, like my perception of like what somebody might be wrestling with, like, is that the accurate perception of like what they're, <laughs> they're wrestling <laughs> with? But school does seem to be a big part of it. I do feel like people seem even busier than I remember because we were in school around similar times. Yeah. And I think people were stressed out about school then too. Yeah, for sure. But I feel like when I look at the college climate today and I see the lives that students are leading, I'm just like, they're so full. Their schedules are so full, is at least my perception of it. Maybe mine was too. Like, maybe I just like blocked it out (laughs) too hard. (laughs) But sometimes I do wonder like, and I wonder this not just about college. Like, I think even the world feels busier. I'm just like, oh, are we different kind of <laughs> prevention, but I'm like, Oh, are we preventing joy and how busy our world and culture is moving? And so maybe it's not just a college thing. But I think, I think I just see a fullness, you know, of schedules that sometimes I wonder, is there enough margin for people to really live lives that feel honoring to like who we are as humans? And some of the other podcasts, we talked a lot about like rhythms, you know, like rest and healthy eating and hydration and you know all those things and so I think that would be one of my my things that I'm noticing is I just feel like Mm -hmm. schedules are really full and to the students credit like honestly I feel like a lot of them are handling it like champs like they're great at their schedules they get things done they show up on time like they're really crushing it but sometimes I just wonder if the pace Mm -hmm. for them and honestly all of us is moving too fast yeah, And like, we're so ingrained in it, especially here. Like, I don't know if I can even speak to like other parts yeah. of the country, but I think in, in Boston, like, you know, productivity, education, like those things tend to be, you know, maybe some of our false gods in this geographic region, I think.
1: Yeah, that's super helpful. I think even the busyness, so I see the busyness sounds similar to when we were in school, but even more enhanced. And then as a result of all that stress, you have sort of the increasing anxiety and depression as well in the college campuses. And I feel like just to put like my my psychoanalysis hat on for a second, I think, and I could be wrong here, but at least speaking from personal experience, underneath that of like keeping up with everyone doing a lot of things. I think part of that age group developmentally is just figuring out who they are. Like, who am I? What value do I add to the world? I need to make sure I have all these options so that like I can contribute in a meaningful way. And they're also, it's also an essential part of growing up and college, the college experience in and of itself is learning who you are apart from your family, what kind of friends, values you have, all of those things. And so and that then sets you up to have successful relationships and family relationships later on as well. And so I just think, I wonder if the preventative measures might be more around helping students really understand who they are and how God has created them with their strengths and recognizing, like normalizing weaknesses. Like it's okay to have both and you're going to be human and that's, that's normal. And um, because I think once... Once we can get to a place where we're comfortable with who we are, we feel confident in our ability, in like the work that we're going to do in this world, work being anything from, you know, professional to familial to um, spiritual, et cetera. I think that need to be so busy can be released and our hands can open a little bit. And so I really do think that walking alongside people and helping them really understand who they are uniquely, and what they've gone through, and how to make sense of their story would be a really valuable thing for students. And then the other piece, just tied into that, is trauma. So I think a lot of students, myself included, come to college with trauma, um, and/or experience trauma in college. Um, thinking of sexual assaults and those kinds of experiences that are more prevalent, and so. Making sure that people have spaces and healthy spaces to process through that. you know, I see crew staff as people who are walking alongside people and then they realize, wow, there's this thing has happened and then being able to connect them to resources and how to process some of that because in even my own experience, the more trauma in my life I' I've ex- I I've process, the healthier I'm able to become. And so it's sort of a both and. yeah, I'd say those would be the two big things, sort of
2: like growing in who they are preventatively and then how can we process
0: and deal with trauma yeah that's really good another thing I was thinking we could talk about today I'm actually kind of personally curious about this question but are we always ready for therapy yeah. like as we've been talking about mental health and trying to de-stigmatize it like and even something you've said a number of times at tonight like we're still developing when we're in college and so I'm just curious like are we always ready for therapy or is there some discernment in the process of seeking out help Mm. or also like are there some things that we think oh these things should be in place in my life if I'm gonna start unraveling Mm. some things in my life so I'd just be curious to hear what you think about that
1: that's an interesting yeah doing that end part like what should be in place in my life if i want to start this i think there's there's a few things that come to mind three big ones one is i think if we destigmatize therapy how much of that would be the barrier that is preventing people from going how hmm. much how many are people ready and willing to go and do the work and process but because there's like this weird stigma or they're afraid if they go into a political career, like someone might find out, you know, mm-hmm. how much that is just a matter of the stigma attached. We can make it more like going to the doctor's office, which everyone needs to do once a year, you know, how could that really benefit our mental health overall? The other thing that came to mind was just, there is some truth in you can't force someone to be ready. And so in, in the counseling world, you know, I've read these, Theories that there's three different kinds of seeds, sort of like in the Bible, right? Where you know you have the seed that can't grow, and then the other one that the soil is a little better, and then the other one where like it's ready to grow and it, you know, the soil is rich and ready. And I'm butchering the whole analogy for sure. But (laughs) the point being that you have clients at different stages, and some are sent by their families, but they're not ready to talk about stuff. Others like are sent because or start going because they realize like they're having this issue but like they're not really in a place to go very deep um and others are sort of the ideal clients where they're they know they've got something going on they're ready to deal with it and so I think that plays a major role too and sometimes it's sort of like you know the spiritual journey to where people maybe they go once and they deal with this issue and then they go again they deal with this issue because now they're ready for taking on this so I do think there's there's no harm necessarily most of the time in processing what you are ready to at that moment and the the last piece that just came to mind was just safety i do think that you have to be in a place of emotional physical and relational safety to some degree to process hard things and so for some people that's going to college they're getting away from the unsafety and the unhealth and for some people you know that's that's being at home and they can do it before they head off or after they graduate, going back to a safe place so they can figure out what they want to do, whatever their journey is. But I do think that's a particularly with trauma, talking a lot about safety is an essential component. Because when you're going through something, you're in a stressful situation, there's only so much your nervous system can handle in terms of like processing and going deeper. So until you're in a place of that,
2: I don't think you. I I think you might be limited in what you might be able to do. Yeah, that totally makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's something I've been thinking about as we've sort of been going through this series. Because for me, my father died when I was 15. And there were some other family background things that happened in my childhood. And I remember in college actually being on a summer mission. And on that summer mission, we had a talk about like family background. And I remember some people getting very emotional about Mm -hmm. it. Like they were having a real response. Yeah. And I remember having no response, but it wasn't because there weren't things to process. I just think I wasn't there in my life. Right. And it wasn't until a few years after college that I did seek out therapy. Mm and I felt like I was ready then. So I, it's been curious to me just as we are talking about it so much. And I, don't, I would never tell anybody not to go to therapy. Usually I'm telling people to go to therapy, right. but I've also sort of been just thinking about that sense of like, oh, do we need to use some discernment? Do we need to think about where we're at in life? You know. Um, so yeah. yeah, just curious about those things. And I think that's a great answer.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's really wise and good for you for realizing like, now I, now I feel ready because you don't want people to feel pressure either. Like you should be ready now at any point to go. I think there is truth to, you'll be, it'll be more effective for you if you're in a place that you're ready to do it and you're not just doing it to make someone else appeased or whatever reason. So I have the same experience in my life.
2: I felt like I got to a place where it's like, okay, I'm just, I want to have more freedom here, but like, I can't do this on my own anymore. And yeah. I think then you go a counseling session in an office, in a relationship, and you're just, there's more fruit to bear. Um, so, yeah, i think really wise of you and brave. <laughs> Good for you.
0: Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a time, but I'm glad I did it. I'd love to chat a little bit about your journey too. One of the things we've been trying to do throughout this series is destigmatize mental health so that if it is something people are wanting to seek out a little bit more help or have a little bit more support, maybe we can reduce that barrier. I'm curious for you, did you have any sort of stigma attached to mental health growing up? And if you did, how did you work through that? And then maybe if you didn't grow up with any mental health stigma, what do you think kind of contributed to having a healthy perspective around that area of life?
1: Yeah. (laughs) So I'm laughing because I kind of got both sides of it. My dad growing up was diagnosed with bipolar one disorder, which is pretty severe. He was called psychotic bipolar disorder. And so he had, you know, hallucinations and he thought he was God and manic episodes and it was pretty scary. And that's partly why my mom, it wasn't a safe environment. Um, And so they got divorced when I was quite young. And my mom, as a result, was very judicious about my mental health, making sure because there's a genetic component, um, you become more susceptible as a child of someone who has one of these more mood severe disorders. And so she was just very on top of it and always like Sent me to counseling a few times as a kid when I was struggling in high school a little bit, sent me to counseling. And so I think that balance of it was really helpful. It just made me feel like, oh, this is normal. Like there's nothing wrong with going to therapy. It's a helpful place, especially when, you know, I don't want to talk about my dad's mental health with my mom right now, you know, as a 17 year old or whatever. So yeah, I think I was lucky in that sense. But Mm -hmm. I do think that because of my own experience with my dad, I had a lot of fear around mental health and Mm. so never wanted to to this day one of my deepest fears is something's wrong with me because of that Mm. experience I had with my dad where something was really wrong and it was scary because it really you know he actually ended up dying from a manic episode when I was 26 or 27 and so
2: Mm.
1: that it's it's very real and very scary and I think yeah I've really struggled with how to destigmatize and how to see people especially with the more severe disorders in a way that is honoring to God but also not wrapped up in fear and so you really had to work through that and you know i myself have struggled with anxiety in my life that didn't really appear as overtly until i was like in my mid 20s and so that was actually you know really hard but it was also really helpful because it was like oh you can. This is a. I'm. I'm okay. Like I can have a thing, <laughs> like I'm still okay. And there's ways to help, and to understand where that came from, and my own trauma history, and my own upbringing, and all those all those ways in which it helps normalize it. And so I think that's the other piece that talking about it more, normalizing it more, making people feel like there's not something wrong with you if you have to see a therapist or you have a diagnosable disorder of some kind that it's sort of part of our bodies and our brains and sort of the brokenness on the side of heaven. And so the more that I felt normal in sort of the struggles, I think the less scary those things have become. So yeah, I don't know if that fully answers your question, but it's it's definitely, I think society still just doesn't know what to do with mm. some of these more severe things and and I think the spiritual, like the spiritual community sometimes can come in and I'll look to your question earlier and do damage because they're like, well, if you just believed in God or listened to the scripture, really believe the scripture about not being anxious or, you know, finding joy, no matter what your circumstances, those kinds of things. Well, true, not untrue things also don't take into account sort of a biology and our experiences in life and, and whatnot. And so. I do think that the spiritual community has hurt people sometimes with that, whether unintentionally, usually, or lack of knowledge. So yeah.
0: yeah, totally. Thanks for sharing your story with us too. I appreciate that. Yeah. And yeah, I do think I'm with you, like just acknowledging that this is an area that the church has done damage and a place where hopefully we can own that. Yeah. we do hear these stories where it's like what you're saying like oh just pray just pray harder or just read this verse and mm-hmm. not that those verses aren't true in in their place but it just maybe those verses aren't meant to be used in that particular situation you know um mm-hmm. and so i feel like one of the things i'm honestly like just praying regularly is like god how do i not do damage? in your name. Yeah. Because I feel like when I look around at some of the wake of some of kind of the church at large, there's damage that has been done. And it's hard because then I feel like it robs people of seeing the beauty of who Jesus really is.
1: Right. Yeah. No, I'm with you. It's, It's almost like the more experiences and people you meet, the more you realize how like broken we are because we represent God in a way that is broken. (laughs) Yeah. I do think there's a lot of, I don't know, I mean, hope too, in the idea that owning that stuff, being reflective, learning from mistakes, like there's a lot of power in that too, to see a Christian who isn't perfect, but has said, oh gosh, you know, like, 2019 like when I led this small group and this Bible study I was telling these girls to do this and I just really wasn't you know and so learning from that or just growing in that I think I think also can be part of it right
2: because mm-hmm. I can't,
1: even at my own even where I am today there's things I'm probably not aware of or think are great or helpful but in five years I might be like that could have been really damaging to someone who had just you know lost a parent or was struggling with anxiety or whatever it is so yeah I, I sort of lean into that sometimes around okay I don't have to be perfect but being aware and, and sort of correcting and re recalibrating I guess
0: <laughs> yeah no I agree with that wholeheartedly
1: yeah even just the stuff that's come out like with Hill and Hillsong, and all these
2: things, and churches we've been a part of or experienced or dynamics. You know, it's like, wow, we, I just wish we did better. But, you know, I just wish we did better for God's sake.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's so tricky the brokenness element of it that exists both in us and in the world. But I just feel like there's something about the weight of living in a broken world. I don't even know how to describe this because I think it's so deep. It's just like, even if we go outside of the church or even just like looking at America right now, like there's mass shootings happening close to every day. I can't look at this world and think for all the progress we've made in a zillion areas, the fruit of what's happening in the world to me just says we're getting some things massively wrong. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. You hope that we're making progress forward. My, one of my professors said to, he teaches family
1: therapy. And one of the things he said is often in families, you have to just decide on which dysfunction you're going to choose. <laughs> and so I, the more i thought about that, I'm like, that's really wise because everything is there's always some dysfunction with whatever you choose. Cause you can't do it all. You can't be perfect. Right. And so you have to choose whether it's like, okay, I'm going to be the person that, you know, has really good boundaries. And that means, well, maybe you, you know, can't serve people as, as well, you know, or as much or as often or whatever. That's me. And that can be hurtful, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, or it's, you know, you decide I'm, this is, I'm going to just serve and serve and serve. And so then you get really tired and burned out and, you know, your kids or your friends kind of get less of you anyway. So I just feel like there's, hmm. I think maybe on a more global front that's happening, right? Where we're choosing one dysfunction for another. And so I hope we're making progress for it, but I also totally see your point.
2: It's like It's I don't know. yeah.
0: <laughs> No, I, do, I mean I do think there is there's there's progress for sure, <laughs> but
2: no. But I hear you. Like we're also getting some stuff really wrong, yeah. and maybe that's just it's you know there's just so much brokenness. You know, chipping away at it one thing at a time. It's just gonna take forever. So. Yeah. First Jesus. All right, let's go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I guess just to pull a thread of hope in this string. I do see hope because I think really at the core of the work that Jesus came to earth to do is redeem and restore what is broken. And I think the work that he also calls us to do and to partner with him in is to redeem and restore what's broken. And so even in the midst, as I look out and I wonder, gosh, I think we're, we're maybe missing some cues or missing some marks. I do feel like the call to Christians is to step into the brokenness and to redeem and restore those places and to work towards that future that is coming with Jesus, you know, when there will be no more mourning, no more weeping, no more crying. Um, that day is coming. And I think as believers, we we can partner with God in that. And so even in the midst of brokenness, even in the midst of kind of, A dark conversation. It's not without hope for me. I know we're running to the end of our time. I'd love to just ask one more question if that's okay. Always, yeah. I'd love to just end on what are some practical things we can do in an everyday sort of way to honor our mental health? So it's maybe not the big things of like therapy or starting a new medication, but what are just the things that we might add to our daily? routine in just simple ways that can really benefit our mental health yeah so there's like two things that come
1: to mind um one is just a more like a skill to learn but just this idea of self-compassion I mean I don't think anyone's mental health got better because they were harder on themselves
2: mm. do
1: better work harder try better next time you know I I think at least from my experience with mental health and counseling and my own journey, the more self-compassion I can have and understanding, not at the expense of truth, not at the expense of like, okay, that was a bad decision, you know, Yeah. but, but that compassion, that understanding that like loving, gracious, tender, merciful voice that I feel like is God's. I think that think that can be really like small changes on a daily basis can really make an impact on our mental health and at Mm -hmm. least how we navigate challenging situations um something I feel like I'm gonna be working on for the rest of my life my instinct is not (laughs) Mm self-compassion um but just seeing you know how impactful that can be and the other thing is just really silly but breath um, I've learned a lot about how just being mindful of taking even three deep breaths a day or um, stopping to pause long enough um, to just inhale and exhale, whether that's, you know, you do it with some sort of, not an, not an
2: examined prayer. What's that? Um...
0: Like a like a breath prayer, I think.
2: Yes, a breath. <laughs> breath prayer. Um, <laughs> Whether you do it with
1: something like that, or you, you're just breathing and sort of trying to connect to God in some capacity,
2: I really think the research is pretty outstanding in terms of what how it impacts your brain and your mental health, and yeah, it's so you need like a quick <laughs> something to try. I think that is pretty can be pretty significant. Mm. Yeah,
0: I love that self compassion and breath. I feel like yeah, self-compassion that hasn't come up so much in these, in this question at least. And I feel like that actually is, yeah, that's so helpful.
1: Well, and I think it translates to particularly around our emotions. I mean, and if you if you're a high feeler like I am, or you're the opposite, you know, as much of an up and down as I do sometimes, I think it can go either way. But I do think emotions are more important than sometimes we give them credit for and not that they should be leading us always but to pay attention to them that their cues and to be compassionate with ourselves with emotion and
2: how how really transformative that can be to our overall health so Hmm. yeah not shying away from them or pushing them aside or when i'm in spiritual direction
0: I have, like, a love-hate relationship with crying. (laughs) Like, sometimes – I love it on some levels, and then, like, sometimes I just –
2: I don't know. There must be
0: something I need to dig through there. But my spiritual director, when I cry, always says, (laughs) you're crying because it's important, and, like, you should notice that. And I feel like that's kind of the same thing. Like, our emotions aren't just – there to be an annoyance like they're there to like tell us yeah. something about ourselves or tell us something is meaningful to us and so yeah I think that makes a ton of sense yeah Liza I've loved this conversation thanks for joining us on the podcast today and sharing your wisdom with us yeah did ditto this was so, super fun you do a great job asking questions oh thank you yeah this was
2: really fun.